1: Sewing, knitting, quilting, textile work are just not words that come to mind when we think of our online digital technologies. Those technologies that allow us to communicate, but the history of computing and automated technology has a parallel history with manufacturing, particularly textile manufacturing. In his new book, The Fabric of Interface, Mobile Media Design and Gender, Stephen Montiero explores the connection between the fabric arts and computing. This is New Books and Technology. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. The book is the fabric of interface, mobile media, design, and gender. But what we always like to start off with here on New Books and Technology is for the authors to really just introduce themselves. So who is Steven Montero?
0: I'm a media and culture scholar. Uh, I'm based it, at uh, Concordia University in Montreal. And what I'm interested in is uh, everyday practices and contexts of uh, media use and technology. And I'm particularly interested in the way that uh, we use um, media objects in different sorts of contexts and settings. Um, So that ties into ideas of, say, performativity, also uh, material culture. And um, a few of the questions that I ask are um, how are sort of media objects constructed uh, and why they're constructed that way. And thinking about why they're constructed that way, it may be in terms of um, how it may um, be tied to particular types of use in, say, contemporary contexts, but also looking at um, looking at how media objects, contemporary media objects are related to um, uh, the history of material culture and other kinds of uh, objects, other kinds of practices that may not be uh, overtly um, evident in our everyday use of um, of um, media objects and networks.
1: Okay, so then why the fabric of interface?
0: So the idea behind the book was thinking about, particularly with uh, mobile media and our use of um, devices, particularly touchscreen devices in all sorts of contexts um, in the course of our uh, everyday lives, thinking about the sort of discussions that um, rows around mobile media use, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, and thinking about how these practices, looking at it from, say, um, a physical, material perspective taking place in different contexts at different times, um, how that might tie into uh Previous sorts of media practices, particularly practices around crafts, uh, domestic work, textile, uh, textile culture, um, from things like weaving to things like quilting, embroidery, uh, needlework, beadwork, these sorts of things. So, yeah, the book subtitle is "is media design and gender." So really, it was thinking of about or excuse me mobile media design and gender so it was really thinking about the way that mobile media might be designed in ways that come out of historically gendered practices
1: now what do you mean by historically gendered practices
0: so thinking about things like craft and and informal work and uh, domestic work and work in the private sphere and the way that that was often oftentimes seen as a woman's work so one of the things that I think about is, particularly in contemporary discussions of the negative effects of uh, mobile media use, the ideas uh, tied to uh, distraction um, and addiction, and ideas about uh, this media might be used as a sort of pastime and these kinds of things, that I think some of the some of the negative discourse around this, um, at least this is my theory. Is tied in part to the way these objects and the way we use them uh, relate to the ways that um, people made objects in the past, so crafted or uh, mended uh, mended clothing or these kinds of things. So, so that's really that's that's really the idea behind it.
1: Now, one of the big, I guess, definitions that you start Mm -hmm. off with in the book um, is that of interface and how it's been conceptualized. And I wonder if you could Mm -hmm. perhaps discuss that a little bit.
0: Right. Well, for, for me, I mean, I, first and foremost, I'm using it in the way that uh, people tend to use it uh, in everyday life, particularly when they're talking about uh, uh, digital technologies and digital networks and these kinds of things. So really, I'm interested in the in the um, um, the relationship between. Uh, the person and the device and the sort of prompts that one gets and the sorts of things that one can and can't do uh, with the device. So uh, thinking about the way that apps work, the way that uh, operating systems work, uh, these sorts of things. So there's that aspect to it. But then also, um, I tried to consider how we might also think about that in relation to other types of interface in everyday life. So in part thinking about sort um, of the public sphere and thinking about shared spaces and that sort of thing and thinking about those shared spaces as places for uh, interface uh, as interfaces themselves, that kind of thing. So in general, I talk a little bit in the book about other theories of interface um, that can be quite abstract and 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 quite um, complexly developed. But uh, for the most part with me, I try to keep it relatively simple so that because I think the power of it really is if we think about these uh, digital interfaces that we have in everyday life and tie it to say genealogies of uh, labor, um, gender divisions, the relationship between leisure time and work uh, what sort of labor uh, should be compensated, financially compensated and what types of labor either are not compensated or poorly compensated and tying all of those ideas into simply, you know, what what a smartphone looks like and the kinds of things that we do when we when we uh, tap the surface and those sorts of things. I think that in and of itself is um, is pretty powerful. So that's why in terms of interface, I tried to keep it simple.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that you you mentioned a bit earlier, and one of the threads I think that's woven through the book is about the idea of social interaction and how the social interactions that we have online now, whether it's through our mobile phones, through our laptops or tablets, or whatever the case may be, are reflective of what we'd consider old school analog social interactions surrounding right. the needlecraft and quilting and crocheting or whatever the case may be. I wonder if right. you can discuss that a bit more because most people, I think, wouldn't even think of or consider quilting. Most people probably don't aren't engaged in crocheting or knitting, at, you know, right. at this time in our history, and yet mm. those are. Very powerful social structures or times that people had during certain parts of history.
0: Exactly. I mean, first off, I mean, I think, um, and I think this came through with uh, recently. In the Pussy Hat Project, which I make brief reference to in the book, that there that, that there seems to be a certain re- well, and I talk about it in more detail in, in terms of other things like Etsy and that. But there seems to be a resurgence in different kinds of craft production, right? And um, and thinking and uh, there's been some work that's written on this that I that I also uh, refer to in the book, thinking about the relationship that digital networks have in this resurgence in things like uh, quilting and knitting and what have you. But um, what you were referring to in that that forms one of the chapters of the book is really thinking about social media and the way that we use it to connect with others and also make connections between and across different kinds of uh, data, different kinds of material that's online.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when I think about the relationship between craft and Sort of social media. There's the first aspect of I, I look in particular at uh, at the role that the tag plays. And in tagging material, um, what we do in essence is that we make connections across different kinds of material uh, that exists online on a particular platform or even potentially across platforms. And so, what we're doing at that moment is, in essence, it's a bit like stitching uh, one block of fabric to to another block of fabric, right? So, we're so we're we're sort of stitching together these much larger works that are tied around. This is the idea have tags, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's tied around some particular um, idea or place or person or what have you. So there's a theme that exists across all of this material. Um, so there's that sort of relationship, I would say, between social media or participatory media and, and this kind of craft production. But there also is then the, um, the relationship between us and things like our particular social media presence and the way that we sort of work with a smaller or larger sort of group or community of people with which we share material right and when you have platforms like facebook it's about sharing material right and sharing material with others and what your facebook feed becomes right is sort of a work that's been put together by you and all these different people that you know tying all sorts of different material together that has some sort of significance in your life and their lives, right? So it sets up this kind of material production of social relations that one can then look at and think about the relationships that one has with others, and um, it ties into things like memory and that sort of thing. And that, I, I argue, can tie in quite strongly to practices of quilting and the way that quilts were used both oftentimes as narratives. So you would have people who would sew pieces of fabric together in ways that it would tell some sort of story about their lives that may be, you know, more or less explicit in its depiction, but also that quilting and other crafts as well, right? But quilting, particularly with quilting bees and that sort of thing, was about community involvement and and sharing, right? And sharing labor, but also sharing material, sharing time, and uh, sharing stories and all of those kinds of things. And in that regard, then thinking about, I give some examples from the 19th century in particular about uh, stories of quilting bees and how quilting bees work and to how different types of quilts would be put together in that that you have a lot of these quilts the idea was that you would take materials for example from people's clothing material that would have some sort of significance right so that once the quilt was done you had all of these little bits and pieces of people and their lives right and you so but also your circle so this is as well so it's bits and pieces of their lives and the labor that they put in to produce this narrative I think it's it's very similar to the way that the way that social media works
1: is it much different than the way social media works as well
0: yeah definitely I mean thinking about sort of contemporary you know one thing we could say right first and foremost is that all of this that we're talking about now it is it is all social media right because of course the term social media now we tend to use it strictly in thinking about um, online Platforms and that, but um, obviously, something like a quilting bee boy, quilting is a social medium, right? Mm -hmm. That it would work in different ways for sure. I mean, we can think about one of the key ways I would say that it's different, perhaps the most important way that it's different. It's not so much in terms of, say, that in making those kinds of objects, people would be face-to-face sharing the same physical space doing kind of thing. But what might be the most important difference, I would say, is that that sort of practice was Part of gift exchange and gift culture and was not something that was monetized by some third party. The issue that we have with a lot of online social media today is that this production, you know, all of this work that people are doing putting these things together, that there are enormous profits generated from that. And none of that money goes back to the people who do all the work. So with these platforms, they provide the frame, but we provide the material and we provide the labor. And what we get in return for that? Of course, we, we it's not that we don't get anything in return. We get plenty of things in return. But what I would argue is that there should be, um, in thinking of terms of uh, fairness and so, social equity, that there should be some, you know, that, that, that um, it shouldn't be something that's, that's, that's monetized by some third party without some sort of share coming back to the participants
1: who are, who are doing the work. You also talk about uh, gender in manual labor and yes. the question of how current hardware manufacturing uses gendered labor for the most part in the creation of the tools that we use or the devices that we use and, and the issues. With that, I think there's right. a connection to what you were just saying, right?
0: Yes, that, and this was this was another um, argument that I that I flesh out at the beginning of the book. In particular, is the relationship uh, between our surface practices. On these devices and the material underneath, the actual components inside of the devices and how those things are made and how those things are assembled. And um, you look at uh, uh, most phones or tablets or these sorts of things um, made today, but also made in the past as well. If we look at uh, and I go, you know, and I go back to the to the start of um, computer uh, building computers. I look at Babbage and that in the nineteenth century but also building computers in the middle of the 20th century. And what you'll find is that at most of the labor that went into the production of um, those computers and machines and the ones that we use today, it tends to be women, uh, it tends to be women of color, and it tends to be um, uh, young women. And that's something that, um, that has been the case throughout the history of computing and electronics. I mean, I t- at one point, I talk about, uh, in tying it into textile production, I write a bit about the, the idea of the mill girl in the 19th century, a young woman who would work in the mills uh, and tend the machines in the mills, and the transistor girl, which was a term uh, that was used in uh, Japan after the war in the 1950s and 60s for uh, the women working in the electronics industry, making transistor radios and these things, and tying it into the 21st century, the um, the iPhone girl, which was uh, sort of a, a sensation a few years ago, shortly after the iPhone came out. So I tie all of those together. And one of the things that I found was most interesting was uh, the role that, or sort of the relationship between the theoretical thinking in the 19th century about computing machines and particularly Babbage's um, analytical engine um, and uh, mass industry. So I know, particularly if anybody's done any sort of reading in the history of computing or that sort of thing, uh, you always find uh, the Jacquard Moon mechanism referred to because of its punch card system as um, uh, something that inspired Babbage and in thinking of terms in terms of um, storing output from computers and um, potentially creating programs and these kinds of things. Um, but what I found that was really interesting was Babbage's relationship to uh, mass industry and his writings not on... Computing, and in fact, for the writings on computing, I look at Ada Lovelace and how she theorizes the relationship between textiles and um, and the analytical engine. Uh, but what I found with Babbage, which was really interesting, was all of his writings about um, about manufacturing and about. Um, mechanization and um, the changes in the factories that um, they were, you know, Britain was shifting from, quote, skilled labor to unskilled labor in the factories. And he argues for the uh, the advantages of this in um, allowing people to work in the factory, like children and uh, women to work in the factory as uh, unskilled laborers who... uh, Um, wouldn't need a lot of training and wouldn't be paid very much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something. So that happened in the textile industry. And that's something that continues on um, into the 20th century and into um, um, Silicon Valley and the manufacturing of uh, semiconductors. And integrated circuits um, in Silicon Valley in the 70s and in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and continues on um, into Southeast Asia, where um, historically um, women who worked in, had some experience in textiles, would be recruited. Um, to work in the electronics industry and you have you have a couple of examples that I look at um, in the US um, is one with in the middle of the 20th century when Lincoln Laboratory at MIT devised a core memory which was something that would be which were basically threaded magnetic beads um, on a frame that formed a grid that um, there was a woman uh, Hilda Carpenter who um, was hired uh, to make these things, um, and she was a woman of color, and she gets little mention. I looked through all the papers of uh, of the project, uh, the Worldwind project, and basically the only time she's mentioned is when the, the week that she's hired, you know. Um, but uh, but she actually made these things, these you know these memory planes by hand and you find that um, when it comes to making or assembling a lot of computer components and electronics components, the idea was to recruit women who likely had gotten some practice in assembly of uh, materials um, and Things like um, sewing or knitting and weaving or these kinds of, you know, meticulous um, work with the small objects and these kinds of things that would have been informal training that they might get in the home or something like that. So then those people can be um, uh, employed as essentially unskilled labor. So the the labor costs are much lower. And that's something that's been historically tied to computing and electronics since the very beginning. beginnings origins of of computing machines
1: one of the things we like to do on new books and technology is for the authors to give us an elevator pitch so say (laughs) for some reason that somebody's tuning in right now and you have one minute to convince them to read your book to buy your book to go to the library to adopt it for course reserve whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. what would you say
0: Well, what I would say is the book really looks at our contemporary media use and relates it to other types of practices, uh, everyday practices that have existed historically. And it debunks to a certain extent um, the idea that um, uh, that people's um, lives have changed fundamentally in in their sort of toiling over these small objects, uh, making thing connections and that sort of thing. My argument is, you know, people have been toiling over small objects, uh, making connections and making things new materials and um, um, new narratives uh, for a long time. It's just that we don't we don't recognize those those links. So it's sort of, as I said, it's, it's sort of meant to um, counter a lot of the rhetoric that we find about, um, about new media and Networked mobile media that suggests we've entered some kind of, uh, we've entered some kind of a new world with this. Yes, there are certainly changes that have come about with this technology, but this technology and, and these practices like anything else, I mean, they're rooted in uh, existing social structures.
1: What's next for you?
0: Well, I think, uh, I mean, I've got a few uh, projects. The one that ties most closely uh, to this book would uh, be, um, uh, a project that continues to look at uh, particularly handheld devices, and um, thinks about the idea of the personal. So, in essence, sort of working from the development of the personal uh, in the 20th century in terms of computing, what personal computing meant, and thinking about what uh, personal media use is today, and what per- what personal media is, um, and in what ways. Uh, These sorts of devices and objects uh, can be personal to us and sort of form our identity. And again, my interest is in thinking about sort of the, the material existence of the object. And the role that it plays in in our sense of uh, ourselves and who we are. So I so I look at um, and the sorts of things that I'm looking at are say um, the way that uh, cell phones and digital toys developed uh, at the end of the 20th century, and um, and the ways that um, this might be tied into. Um, um, the the way that we can carry them around with us. The selfie, the way that selfie develops, right, is not just about taking photographs, putting them on the network, but our relationship to the device. So it's, I I mean, it's still an early early stage, so what that means is I'm researching all sorts of different kinds of electronic devices and digital devices Mm -hmm. Um, and um, uh, from, say, the past 40 or 50 years and trying to think about our relationships to them and how it ends up that we end up with these small touchscreen devices as uh, sort of our primary objects. I mean, it's hard to argue um, that it's not uh, uh, the the most important object in our everyday lives, right? The moment that we can't find it, or that it's broken, or these kinds of things, it really changes not just the sorts of things that we do, but our our our, our sense of who we are and what we're capable of doing. Um, one last thing I'd point out with that, another important aspect aspect of this is thinking about um, the role of pointing, not only with uh, touchscreen technologies, but the role that pointing plays in the development of language and the really early sort of development of our sense of ourselves in the world, that we point at things um, and uh, that that sort of sets up certain relationships. So then I tie it into things like the mouse and the, and the pointer mouse and those sorts of things. So as I said, it's still an early stage. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but the, the kinds of things that I'm, that I'm looking
1: at. This has been New Books and Technology.